after three days, on the first day of the week, the women came with spices to anoint the body of Jesus. And they heard, He is not here. He is risen. Well, welcome. This is Easter like we have never done Easter before. We are glad that you're here. Thanks for being with us. It's real different. We got cars streaming into the parking lot. We got people in masks, people in bandanas. We got our team up here. It's just been great so far, and I hope you stay tuned in with us. I got to tell you, things have changed. Things have changed for me. Some of you realize that... uh, that, you know, I, I've been doing some of these video updates and all that stuff. And, and I got to tell you, that always doesn't go so great. Here's what I mean. Whether it's around our kitchen tables or in front of our t- living room TVs. <laughs> Let me just start over on that one. <laughs> this weekend, <laughs> a host... Host uh, OhioGrace.com, or you can catch us live on YouTube, or I'm overthinking it. I'm overthinking it. Well, when I'm done, you'll think I'm underthinking it. Hey, church family. Outside our church office door at the Fremont campus. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just, I, I'm jacking. Wake up, Kevin. <laughs> oh. well, well, things don't always, maybe you've experienced some glitches uh, like that. I don't know, but hey, it's Easter. We're glad you're here. Hey, if you could hear me out in the parking lot, honk your horn. Oh, oh, they're out there. Yeah, I can hear you. That's, that's great. That's great. Easter's kind of a, it's a different Sunday. If it's, it's a different Sunday for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, last year we had over 2,000 people. We averaged over 2,000 people at, at Grace every Sunday morning. But on Easter, it was over 3,500 and so almost twice as many people. So we, we kind of get that. And, and a lot of people, they'll come to Easter. You're tuned in now. And may, maybe you wouldn't normally tune in. And we're glad that you're with us. I, I got to tell you, though, there's actually a term that uh, people use for people that only come to church on Christmas and Easter. It, it's called Creasters. Uh, I'm serious. You can Google it. Not now, some other time, but, but it's there. It's a real thing. Uh, people that only come to church a couple of times a year. And, and sometimes, especially down through the years as being a pastor, people will come up and say, hey, Kevin, uh, do, does it ever bother you when all these people show up and they're not here on, on normal Sunday mornings? And I'm thinking, no, that, that doesn't bother me at all. I love when people come in, even if they're skeptics, we love you when you're here. And it's just great to see you. I mean, some people all year long, you're saying things like, wow, I just don't know if I can buy this whole Jesus stuff. I just don't know that, that I can buy into that. But yet you still check in twice a year. That's great. 
we are glad that you're with us. And, and if you are tuning in now, uh, you know, some of you, it's your weekly routine. Some of you, it's a little unusual. Some of you, maybe circumstances have changed, so you're tuned in. It doesn't matter. Hey, we're glad you're with us. And, and if you're leaning on the skeptic side, we're especially glad that you're with us. But I do have an ask. If I can ask you this, I would ask you to, to stay tuned in for the entire 30 minutes or so during this talk. Stay focused. I, I would just like you to, to relax, uh, maybe take a deep breath, unclench your fist if that applies, and focus on what's being said. And here's why. Because if you're here and you're thinking that the resurrection may be true, but it's a long shot, if there's any chance that it could be true, then it's worth listening to hear about it. Uh, or, you know, if, if you're thinking it's just one in a thousand shot, hey, it's worth tuning in. And it just could be, I mean, you need, need to just open your mind that just maybe, maybe, that this time that we have together could change your life. So, Please, my challenge, focus in, hang with us all the way through to the end. Now, uh, so I'm going to talk about the resurrection some, and I'm going to use uh, three points, which I do that a lot, but my three points uh, came up this way. About a, a week ago, I was thinking about this talk and what I'd be saying on Easter, and, uh, and then I was thinking, you know, what I would want is that everybody listening who are tuning in, about the resurrection, that they would sort of put the whole issue of the resurrection of Jesus to bed. I mean, they'd put it all to bed, they would get their questions answered, and it would just be put to bed in their thinking. And then I started realizing, oh, bed, B-E-D, hey, that could work. Because what I wanna talk about today is the backstory of the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, and the decision that you need to make for the resurrection. So it's B-E-D. Now the fact that I happen to be laying in bed about two in the morning when I thought of that, hey, that's just the way it is and that actually happened and you're stuck with it anyway. So first thing that I wanna talk about is the backstory of the resurrection. And the backstory is this, way back is God exists in community. There is one God who exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we don't fully understand that because we're finite and he's infinite. But this God, he has revealed himself to us. And he is the creator. He created the universe. He created the world and everything in it. He created life. And he created you and me. He, he created us. And when he created us, he did something special. He created us in his image. And that meant that he created us with the ability to be self-aware, with the ability to think, with the ability to make choices, even moral choices. But the problem is with that freedom that God gave us, we have all misused it because God not only revealed himself, he also revealed what's right and what's wrong. And we've all used our own freedom of choice 
to do the wrong thing sometimes and thus rebel against our creator. What he said was right. And here's the problem with that. God is perfectly just. That's what he tells us about himself, that he is perfect justice. Well, you probably already know this, but justice demands that wrongs be punished. And that's a problem for all of us because we've all done wrong. We've all rebelled against our creator. And because of that, our destiny is to be punished by God. And our destiny for all of us is that we would be separated from God forever. That's the penalty, the right penalty for our sin, that we'd be separated from God forever in a place called hell. It's the right punishment for the crime that we've all committed. But God still loves. And because he loves, even though he couldn't wave away sin, because his character of justice wouldn't allow that, because he loves, he said one was coming. And that one who was coming, who was destined to solve our sin problem, came to be known as the Messiah, the true king, who would come and make a way for us to be reconciled as sinful people to a righteous and holy God. And that brings us kind of the second part of the backstory. That is the life of Jesus. Jesus in the first century was born of a virgin. And I know some of you are out there and you're going, oh yeah, yeah, the virgin birth. That's what I heard last time I hear. Yeah, that's the Christer thing. There's actually been a lot of talks between Christmas and now, but that, that teaches all kinds of things. But yeah, you're right. Jesus came, born of a virgin. He grew up in Palestine. When he was about 30 years old, he entered into a public ministry. Don't know a lot about his life before then, a little bit. But then he started teaching people. He became a, a rabbi and, and was, was traveling around. And he had followers. He, he picked, a hand-picked his disciples. While he was teaching, he also did miracles and signs. And he did that along with his virgin birth. It was a sign to get people to think about what Jesus was saying, to get people to think about who Jesus really is. So he did that for about three years. But then at the end of that, we, we found out what his real mission was because his real mission was to come and solve our sin problem. And the only way that he could do that was to take our punishment for his sin so that we could be forgiven by God without violating God's justice. And that's exactly what he did. And so we need to talk the backstory of the resurrection. Third part of that is, is not only his life, but his death. You probably know that Jesus was betrayed and arrested and he was convicted in, in kind of an illegal court at the time. Pilate was the governor of the area in Jerusalem. And uh, the Jewish leaders brought Jesus to him to be killed because only Rome could do that. And Pilate actually met with Jesus and after talking to him realized that, that Jesus was not guilty of any crime that deserved death. But he knew that the Jewish leaders wanted vengeance, wanted him to die. So Pilate decided what he would do is 
have Jesus flogged, beaten, and whipped. And then he would bring Jesus out and present him to the crowd, thinking that a beaten and bloody Jesus might satisfy their bloodlust. And so he did just that. But the crowds in Jerusalem started yelling, crucify him, crucify him. He claimed to be the son of God. He deserves to die. And then to put political pressure on Pilate, they started saying, he also claimed to be king. And if you don't put him to death, you are no friend of Caesar's because he's a rival king. Pilate gives in uh, to that kind of political pressure and he hands Jesus over to be crucified, which is a way of being tortured to death. John, in the Gospel of John, records this for us in chapter 19, beginning in verse 17. He says, they took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha. There they crucified him. And with him two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. Crucifixion was perfected by the Romans. It had actually been invented a couple hundred years before, perfected by the Romans. And it was perfected to bring maximum torture and public shame to the person being crucified. In Jesus' case, as I said, they beat him, they flogged him, they whipped him, tearing flesh from his back. Then they led him out, bearing his cross, outside the city walls and up to a hill called Golgotha, same hill we call Calvary. Once there, they stripped Jesus of his clothes, they stretched out his arms and they nailed his wrists into the wooden beam. And I say wrists because in, the, in ancient times when the Bible was worded, hand, the word hand included the wrist and they would use the wrist so the palm would keep the nail from pulling through the hand. And they had a couple of different ways of doing that. Sometimes it was the entire cross. They'd lay them out, nail the guy to it and then pick it up and drop it into a hole. Other times the vertical beam was already there and they would just nail the crucified person to the cross beam and then lift up the cross beam and drop it into the notch of the vertical pole. And then once, once he was dropped into place, his shoulders would have pulled out of joint. His feet would have been nailed into that pole. And then what happened for anybody being crucified and what happened with Jesus is that as he's there beaten bloody crown of thorns on his head blood dripping down his face down his back it was hard to breathe and in order to breathe they would have to pull up on their hands and push up on the nail through their feet in order to create a little room for their chest to expand, to take in a breath. And we know that, that without doing that, that they would suffocate. We know that in history because if they wanted to hasten the death of somebody in crucifixion, which usually was not the point, but if they ever did want to hasten death, all they did is got a club and they broke the legs of the man. 
And then he couldn't push up anymore. And then he would suffocate in his public shame. Well, as uh, this is all happening, Jesus is mocked. If you can even consider this, Jesus is the eternal son of God. He's the creator of the universe, the creator of us, and he's hanging on a cross, beaten, bloody, in excruciating pain. By the way, that's where they get the word excruciating is from crucifixion. In excruciating pain, he's pulling himself up just to breathe. At the same time, people are out there mocking him, challenging him. Oh, you said you're the son of God, then come down. Oh, you've saved others, but you can't save yourself. And he endures all that for us. John picks up the story in verse 28 as soldiers are gambling for his clothes. He says, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished to fulfill scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Once Jesus had died and as um, evening was approaching, the Jewish leaders went to Pilate and they asked Pilate to remove uh, the men because they didn't want them hanging there when their Sabbath began at sundown. So Pilate agrees to that and he sends a centurion out and he goes out to break their legs. There's still a crowd around Jesus and they break the legs of the first man. They break the legs of the man on the other side of Jesus. But when they get to Jesus, they realize he's already dead. Just to make sure and a lot easier than breaking legs, they grabbed a spear and shoved it up through his side, piercing his pericardium and fluids rush out. And, and they realize that, that Jesus is gone. And at this point in the narrative, John stops, he pauses. And, and all through John, you have to know that John refers to himself always in the third person, usually the disciple that Jesus loved. But here's what he says. He, he pauses and reflects and he makes this statement, I believe for later generations that he knows will be reading his account of things. It says this in verse 35. Talking about himself in the third person. Now this is John writing, talking about himself. And he who has seen has testified. And his testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth so that you also may believe. For these things came to pass to fulfill the scripture. Not a bone of him shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, and they shall look on him whom they pierced. And basically what John's saying and what John's telling us is he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. This is exactly the way it happened. And I'm telling this truthfully for a reason. So that you would believe. He's saying it's all true. But he's also, he continues. He's saying there's more. Verse 38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one for fear of the Jews, 
asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate granted permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus, who had first come to him by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds weight. Now, first of all, you might ask, why is this interjected? Why all these details that John puts in? Why would they bring almost a hundred pounds of spices as they bury Jesus? Well, they're doing that because they're embalming him. They're preparing his body for burial. Well, why embalm Jesus? Well, they're embalming him because they expect Jesus to do what every other person who's died has done, and that is to stay dead. But Jesus, Jesus didn't do that. Look as it continues in verse 40. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen wrappings, with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. That's just John saying, hey, some of you that are reading this in later generations might not understand what's happening here. This is just the way we do Jewish burial. Here's the customs. He's explaining. Verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. Therefore, because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Why these details? John's saying, hey, they buried him nearby in this new tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea because they were in a hurry. They were trying to get this done. Why? Because at sunset, the Sabbath began. And then all these preparations that they were doing would be illegal. So they're in, the they're in a hurry. They're trying to make it all happen. That's the backstory of the resurrection. Secondly, the E is evidence for the resurrection. There's evidence for the resurrection. Why? Because we need evidence. Now, we as believers, we trust the Bible. We can prove that it's authentic to the first century and we trust what it says. But when I say that, I think a lot of people hear that and they're thinking, oh, so anything Bible says, you just believe it. Yes, but there's more to it than that. There are deeper reasons that we trust the Bible. You see, we believe in the resurrection because of a Jewish believer named Matthew. He documented, he was an eyewitness in the first century who documented Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. We believe in the resurrection because of a man named Mark who was a Greek man who was closely connected with Peter. And he wrote down the things that Peter, an eyewitness, told him all about. You see, we believe in the resurrection because there was a doctor named Luke who was also a Greek man who had heard about these things and traveled to Judea with the express intent of writing down and accumulating eyewitness accounts before any of these people died so he can put it in a chronological order and send it to us. That's what he says at the beginning of his letter. You see, we believe in the resurrection because of Peter. He wrote letters to the first century church and he was saying the resurrection of Christ, it happened. I know I was there. We believe in the resurrection because James, the half brother of Jesus, who was skeptical of Jesus all through his ministry, but Jesus appeared to him. He saw Jesus and resurrected for him and that changed his life forever. And he 
came to know that his Jesus was in fact the son of God. By the way, what would your brother have to do to convince you he was the son of God? Hey, we believe in the resurrection because of a man named Paul whose business was persecuting the church, persecuting believers, destroying the church. And he came to believe that the resurrection was true based on evidence from Christ. And last, we also believe in the resurrection because of the disciple John. He's who's writing the book that I've been reading from. He was the last disciple of Jesus to die. He was the witness, an eyewitness of Jesus' life, an eyewitness of the crucifixion, an eyewitness of the resurrection. And here's how he continues. And notice when he's telling the story, he doesn't write himself in as a hero. Next verse is John chapter 20, verse 1. He's not expecting the resurrection. Here's what it says. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth and they were going to the tomb and the two were running together and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first and stooping and looking, looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Do you get all these details? John saying this because he was there first. He and Peter run for the tomb. Well, he's younger than Peter, and he's just got to include that, yeah, he beat Peter to the tomb. But then in all honesty, he has to say, yeah, but I didn't go in. But then Peter, when he came, like Peter has always been, he goes right in. And this is what we see. And then he continues in verse 8, and, and he says something profound about it. So, why, why, by the way, why is he recording all these things about, hey, th these cloths were this way? And because it's not what they were expecting. They didn't expect Jesus to rise. And when they first looked, they're thinking somebody stole the body. But when somebody steals or removes a body, they don't unembalm the body. They don't leave everything in a nice, neat pile. And then John says something about himself, something profound in verse 8. So the other disciple, again, that's John. He's talking about himself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb, then also entered. And he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. You see, something happened to John right in that moment when he entered the tomb. He saw and believed, he said. Because it was, Jesus said hard things. John had been with him since the beginning of his ministry. Jesus said things that were tough for them to swallow. Things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they didn't know how to take all these things. And they believed he was a great teacher. 
but the Son of God? Now John believes. Why? Because of the evidence. Because of the evidence. Because even the closest followers of Jesus needed evidence. He continues in verse 19, John says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. And the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. You see, even Jesus' closest followers needed evidence. And they rejoiced. Now, what happens in this is not all the disciples are there when this happens. As a matter of fact, one disciple, Thomas, is not with the group. And so when he finally catches up with the other disciples, they're all joyful and they're telling him, we saw Jesus, he's risen again. What John and Peter said, it's real stuff. We actually talked to him. And Thomas said, I don't believe it. Until I see the nail prints in his hands and put my finger in there and touch his side, I'll never believe. And then about a week after that, they're together again. And this time Thomas is there and Jesus shows up again. And Jesus invites Thomas, look, touch me. Feel my hands, my wrists, feel my side. And then he says something very profound to Thomas and the other disciples. It's in the middle of verse 27. He says, do not, this is Jesus talking, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said, said to him, my Lord and my God, my Lord and and my God. Now, I don't know what Jesus said after that, but it could have been, Jesus could have said something to Thomas like, hey, and by the way, Thomas, don't let all these guys give you a hard time for not believing before you saw me. Don't let them call you doubting Thomas because they needed evidence too. They needed it too. Don't let them kid you, Thomas. Just like we have evidence today. And when they saw that evidence, it changed their lives forever. And we know a little bit about that today. Things are different. We've been talking about that. One thing that happened uh, this last week is my son Zach's freezer went out. And so we went to Lowe's to, to get, replace it. And, then, and it was weird because you're there. And people are saying hi to you. They're wearing masks. You don't know who they are. You can't see their faces. And then what, what else was weird is uh, checking out. There's a plexiglass, plexiglass kind of divider up above the counter. And so there's like the counter and then 18 inches and then a big plexiglass wall to kind of keep the germs from the customer and the cashier so it accumulates all the germs all day. Well, Zach was bent over the counter and he's making his payment. I can't remember how he's doing it. And then he stood up and he forgot that plexiglass panel was there. And so when he stood up, he rubbed his face all up, all up that 
plexiglass. I mean, we used to have an American bulldog, you know, that slobbers. I know what slobber on a window looks like. It was that. I mean, if you think that's gross, I want to hear you honking right now. Okay, yeah, it was gross. I mean, just kind of slobbered all the way up, um, streaked the windows. And, and I know even telling a story like that, some of you are already judging me. You were at Lowe's, what? You were at Lowe's, what about the stay home thing? Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. You see, our lives have changed, but they haven't changed for the better. And we think, even though things have changed, that it'll get back to normal someday. We'll pray that normal is what it used to be. But, and here's the deal. For the disciples, their lives changed forever. And their lives changed for the better. The disciples, their lives have completely changed. All of a sudden, they come out of hiding... And they boldly proclaim the resurrection of Jesus in the face of all the people who just put Jesus to death. And it would be nothing for them to put others to death. Their lives were changed. They were all, every disciple, all these followers of Christ, they were willing to die to give us the truth so that we could decide for ourselves. They died so we could have evidence. And by the way, not just the disciples, not just first century followers, for 2,000 years, for the most of 2,000 years, Christians have been willing to die to pass down the truth of the resurrection to us so that we could decide for ourselves. But when we hear the evidence, we have to make a decision. And they died so we could have that evidence. And that's the D in the bed. So B-E-D, the, B-E-D, the backstory of the resurrection, the evidence for the resurrection, and the decision that the resurrection brings us to. And when we hear the evidence and we're confronted with this relationship with Christ, it's a decision that we have to make. We're actually decide, making a decision based on news that happened 2,000 years ago and has been faithfully transmitted to us. And that looks different for different people. Right now, I'd like someone from Grace uh, to share his story. This is Matt Jackson. My name is Matt Jackson. Growing up, my family wasn't very religious. We didn't go to church. And I didn't really know much about Jesus. In high school, I started to notice that something was missing. Tried to fill that void with drugs. Next couple years, I bounced in and out of AA. Things began to happen, and I started to notice that there was some kind of truth to this God thing. But we didn't talk about Jesus in AA. It was a higher power of my understanding. I didn't have a direct relationship with God. I kind of was making it up from my own standards and what I wanted. There was no truth to it, you know, and I didn't, I didn't feel the love and forgiveness of Christ. And I began to feel meaningless and hopeless again. Because there was that void, I continued to use drugs. 
I kept telling myself it was just gonna be one more time. The next thing I knew, I was waking up, being wheeled out of my apartment on a gurney. I looked over and saw my daughter's face and it just broke me. I was angry and frustrated because I didn't think I could stop. And I was angry at my girlfriend for calling the ambulance. I wanted to die at that point. I didn't see any hope. I didn't see a way out. We had attended Grace in the past and my girlfriend brought up trying to go back again. So I agreed. When we went to service that weekend, Pastor Kevin said if we have any doubts about our salvation, to not do communion. And I got kind of offended and asked my girlfriend on the way home, how could, how could anybody not have doubts? And she kind of looked at me and was like, you know, I don't understand how you do have doubts. You know, and she brought up, maybe I should talk to somebody. So I called up and made an appointment with Pastor Tim, went and sat down with him and asked him some questions. Um, he had some very logical, logical and compelling answers to my questions. I still had a little bit of doubt, but he asked me if I was willing to accept Jesus. And I was willing to try with an open mind. You know, I kind of begged Jesus to come into my life and to show me, show me the truth. Because I, I had no other options at that point. Pastor Tim also asked me to start reading the book of John. I began to change things in my life and started reading, reading the Bible. That's when God opened my eyes and I started to see the love and forgiveness that Christ has for all of us. Since I accepted Christ, life's still not perfect. But after reading what he did for us on the cross, I can't go on living the way I used to. And knowing what he did, I'm gonna trust in him. Matt said some profound things there. And uh, I have actually listened to his story several times. And I never get tired of hearing it. One of the things he said, I wrote it down, it says, I didn't have a direct relationship with God and was kind of making it up with my own standards and what I wanted. But there was no truth to it. That is profound. That's what most of us do. We do the whole God thing like the way we want it to be. We don't worship the God who revealed himself. We, we, we like a God that we've made up in our own image and, and how we want him to be, but there's no truth to it. That's not who God said he was. Hey, if you have questions, get them answered because uh, we all tend to do that. And I, I want you to bring you back to this text of John and notice what John tells us that Jesus says next because it relates to all of us. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. The whole point of the resurrection is that we would believe in Jesus and have life in his name. And when Jesus, or John for that matter, when they say believe, when they talk about belief, 
That's not just an intellectual ascent that Jesus lived and died. It's deeper than that. Belief for them, for Jesus and John, is a trust, a deep-seated trust in Jesus and who Jesus revealed himself to be and that he died to take our penalty, to be our substitute. He died for our sins, to pay our penalty so that we could be forgiven without violating God's justice. And we can be reconciled, even those sinners, with a righteous and holy God. You see, Jesus came to fix our sin problem. But we have to respond. We have to come to a point of decision. When we hear evidence of the resurrection, and we can talk all day about evidence of the resurrection. I haven't done that, but we'll be happy to do that with you anytime. It just comes down to decision. You have to decide on God's terms and and that kind of belief, that kind of faith, it's a trust in that first of all, it's an admission that we've all sinned against God. We've all done wrong. Secondly, it's belief, it's trust in Christ and Christ alone. And then thirdly, it's doing that with an intention that we want to follow God that we want to commit our lives to him and none of us do that perfectly, but we have a desire to honor God with our life. And if you're ready to do that, there's no better time than now. And I can walk you through a prayer, but I'm not gonna do that today. Don't focus so much on your wording. God doesn't care about your wording, he cares about your heart that you come admitting your sin, asking for forgiveness, knowing it's possible through Jesus and you wanna follow him. And that's just a simple prayer. You talk to God, do it. Talk to God. I'm gonna close in prayer in just a moment. And, but the service is not over. So I want you to sit tight, just, just another few minutes and it will be. I'm gonna close in prayer. Then we're gonna do a closing song. And here's the thing. I want you, if you don't know for sure, if you doubt whether you have a real relationship with God or not, clean that up right now. And if you can't do it now, maybe it's an awkward time or maybe you're around other people. It's just different. Well, then this afternoon or an hour from now or or later this evening, carve out some time. Talk to God about this. That's what it means to be a Christian. And if you do come to Christ, You should tell somebody, you should tell another believer. We would also like you to tell us. We would like to know that. And the way you could tell us is simply by texting your name to our church phone number, which is 419-332-2623. Whether you do that during this song or whether you do that this afternoon or this evening, we would like to know. We won't bother you. We would just like to know by texting your name to 419-332-2623. Now, if you want to communicate to us about some other things, fill out a connect card like we were showing you how to do at the beginning of the service. Do that that way. This is just for those who are giving their life to Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for giving us the evidence of the resurrection.
Lord, that it's been passed down at the cost of lives and blood, countless. Lord, that we could hear the truth so that we could decide for ourselves. And Father, right now, we are asking you, your spirit, to touch people's lives, to help them, to touch their hearts, to draw them close to you. So they will realize the truth of this evidence that they would admit their sin, ask you for forgiveness, knowing they could only do that based on what Christ has done. And that they would want you to come into their life and help them to live it your way. God, we thank you for the day. It's, it's a different kind of Easter. But God, you work in mysterious ways. And Father, we pray that every single heart that's listening now will turn to you. In Christ's name we pray.